This land is your land, and this land is my land, from the California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Folk music spans genres, eras, and geography. For New Yorkers, it often conjures up images of Greenwich Village in the 1960s, but folk music is also experiencing something of a revival today, and it will be especially alive and kicking this weekend at the Brooklyn Folk Festival. The 8th Annual Festival, which starts tonight, is bringing together artists from all over the world for performances, workshops, and contests. So we have decided to explore folk music on this week's Please Explain, and joining us now are the festival's co-founder, Eli Smith, and one of the festival's headliners, Jaron Blindboy Paxton. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much. Good to see you. And for our audience, if you have any questions for our guests about folk music, you can give us a call at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Eli, you grew up in the village. Um, How close to Washington Square Park or McDougal Street were you? I'm I'm from about the corner of Barrow Street and Seventh Avenue there, uh, right? And, and I went to high school on this block on Charlton Street. <laughs> so, uh, were you, did you feel like you were in an environment that fostered an interest in in folk music? Well, no. I mean, I growing up in the 1990s, uh, it was pretty much long gone at that mm-hmm. point. There was no Cafe Wa anymore. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> or yeah, the, the, Folk City, or you know, the Gaslight, or any of the classic old folk clubs that we think of. And yet I was attracted to um, old rural sounds, folk music, and I knew that that had taken place in the 1950s and 60s where I was living. And in fact, Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and Leadbelly had actually played shows at my grade school and high school, and I knew that, but it was a ghost. I mean, it was long gone. You play banjo in the band, the Downhill Stragglers? Strugglers. Strugglers, <laughs> yes. Well, gee, so. it's me misreading it, but... I love puns. Uh, you teach banjo lessons <laughs> at the Jalopy Theater in Red Hook as well? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the School of Music there. So, so it wasn't just a matter of taking an interest in the music. You also decided that you wanted to play. Have your tastes changed over the years? Well, they've grown. Um, yeah, I, I I was always attracted to music since I was a kid, but it wasn't until I heard Woody Guthrie and then uh, Mississippi John Hurt and the, the great New York string band, the New Lost City Ramblers, and the anthology of American folk music that Harry Smith uh, put out on Folkways, you know, back in the 50s. That, that's what really um, attracted me. And that seems to be the source for so many people. Earlier we had mm-hmm. Steve Earle on our show, and he was talking he mentioned about well, how important yeah. Harry Smith's, uh, all, all of that, uh, those things he compiled were to him. Jaron, you grew up far from the village in south-central L.A. How did you develop an interest in the music of the 20s and 30s? Well... My family's uh, from Louisiana, and most everybody in my fam- everybody in South Central, uh, the colored folks, they come there from the Deep South, uh, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, Texas, around there. And my family uh, came there in 1956 uh, and brought their music with them. You know, they didn't just start listening to the Beach Boys straight <laughs> out the cotton field, you know. Uh, so I was steeped in that. Used to uh, used to hear stories about my grandma listening to Louisiana Hayride and the Grand Ole Opry back in Louisiana, and 
that was some of the first music I ever heard, blues and country music. And you decided to play the banjo? The banjo has its roots in Africa. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, my grandma said that her father was a banjo player. Uh, he was a Choctaw Indian fella. And he played a banjo. Look, uh, it looks a lot like this one I got right here. Uh, mm -hmm. You want me to play a tune for you? Sure, I'd love to. Sounds Here's good. something. This banjo's a little closer to the way those uh, African banjos sound, I suppose. When it came with four strings, this one don't, uh, you don't need but four strings to play this music. also play banjo are you impressed <laughs> oh yes yeah i love jaron's playing very much i'm thrilled to have him back at the brooklyn folk festival jaron has played it at every single brooklyn folk festival and this is our eighth year so and where does that song come from jaron uh, i'm putting together a couple things i heard growing up uh, you know uh, uh sometimes you jumble songs together and try to make them your own that's what i did with that one well hasn't that been part of the tradition of folk music in america people uh taking songs, mixing them. Lead Belly used to do it and so many others even before him. Sure, yeah. And then uh, putting some of their own lyrics in as well. Yeah, I think there was a different idea about uh, song rice, quote, songwriting or song composition or music as a whole that was that has been altered greatly by the um, the idea of progress in the music industry. You know, now um, the idea of songwriting was very different in a in, uh, hundred years ago or something. It was more, to me, it was more organic and actually felt more natural. It was better. When did uh, we start seeing singer-songwriters in uh, in so-called folk music? Would it have been somebody like, uh, uh, well, Woody Guthrie? Well, Woody Guthrie was an interesting case because he either never or almost never wrote an original melody. He, all, it was all the words. He would, he either had songs that he had grown up with or had heard on 78 RPM records, and he uh, oftentimes from the Carter family, and he would change the, the, the lyrics. This Land is Your Land uh, is an old hymn, the, the original melody, and so on. The Rock of Ages. That's right, yeah. And 
you know, the, what we think of as singer-songwriters today. And I think when most people think of folk music, they uh, they think of singer-songwriters. And when you go to most folk festivals, they're basically, you know, singer-songwriter festivals or sort of rock festivals, actually. But uh, the idea of, of singer-songwriter as folk music came out of the 1960s and 70s era, for sure. My guests are Eli Smith, co-founder of the Brooklyn Folk Festival, producer of the Washington Square Park Folk Festival, and Jaron Blindboy Paxton, one of the headliners uh, at the Brooklyn Folk Festivals over the years. Uh, the festival takes place tonight through Sunday in Brooklyn. This is WNYC, WNYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. Maybe I should point out that both of you are relatively young. Is folk music currently experiencing a revival? Oh, sure. Yeah, I think it, so. Yeah, it's, uh, as I mentioned, when I was growing up here in the 90s, there I, there wasn't much going on. What happened in, after the, uh, the 60s uh, to suddenly make folk music less popular? Was it when well, Bob Dylan went electric? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, things, things go in cycles, obviously. I, I think, you know, quote, folk music has, um, you know, become popular uh, maybe about every 30 years, you know, since going back to the 1930s. But actually, I, you know, I, I got to know Henrietta Yurchenko quite well and worked with her. She was a radio, folk at, radio right personality. Right here at WMIC. Yeah, starting in, in 1939. And she said she'd lived through the folk music eras of the 30s, the 60s, and then again, uh, <coughs> excuse me, more recently. And she said in, in, in times of crisis and times of economic recession, war, political turmoil, for some reason, the idea of quote, folk music tends to come back. It did in the 30s, it did in the 60s, and it is now. Maybe it's because people perceive it as authentic and are looking for something like that. There's also been a spate of movies. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, A Mighty Wind, Cold Mountain, up Inside, Lewin Davis, um, and and uh, Eli, I understand your band is on that soundtrack. Right, the Downhill Strugglers, yeah, we, we have a song on the, the soundtrack to the Coen Brothers film Inside, Lewin Davis, uh, I sang the the roving gambler for that. It was that's an old ballad. Well, how much of traditional American folk music has its roots in the British Isles, England, Scotland, and Ireland, and how much can be traced back to its African roots? Well, that's the that's the great mix right there. I wouldn't want to say one over the <laughs> one more than the other, but it's that's that's the great the great genius of American folk music. And I would also add other European roots, including um, French. I'm thinking and, uh, of somebody uh, like Elizabeth Cotton, uh, who seems to, seemed at the time to have merged all of those things together. Well, even, uh, you know, I think even earlier than that, when uh, music was first taken off in America, it was, uh, it was usually the servant class, which in the States was the black people, uh, that played a lot of the music for social gatherings, and they learned all kind of music, and they had a style of their own. And they also brought this instrument over here and the banjo yeah the the, the banjo and with them mixing certain things there's certain parts in history where the music crosses centuries ago and then then it comes back together over here i'll play you a short little uh snatch of something that sounds good it's a a melody that gets associated with uh, uh the british isles but sounds pretty good on this african sounded banjo Thank you. 
That was uh, the Jaron Blindboy Paxton, one of the headliners at the Brooklyn Film, uh, Folk Festival, which will be starting tonight uh, and running through Sunday in Brooklyn. Uh, he's here along with Eli Smith, co-founder of the festival and uh, producer also of the Washington Square Park Folk Festival. And we will take a little break when we come back, talk more about folk music and why it got so political at some point and becoming political again. Uh, we invite your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening all over this land. I'd hammer out danger. We're back with our Please Explain look at folk music. I guess we're focusing on American folk music with Eli Smith, co-founder of the Brooklyn Folk Festival, which begins tonight, and also with Jaron Blindboy Paxton, who is one of the headliners at the festival. And uh, where will it take place, Eli? The Brooklyn Folk Festival takes place at St. Anne's Church on Montague Street uh, by Clinton there in Brooklyn Heights. Now, uh, most many people associate folk music these days with political messages. When did that start happening? Oh, that started in the 1930s during the Popular Front era uh, with Woody Guthrie and a number of others from that sort of first great folk scene in New York uh, going back to the 30s. And the um, the Communist Party and, and the sort of cultural move, movement around that kind of picked up on folk music as the, quote, people's music. And that's... That's when folk music got associated with left-wing politics in the United States. And then in the 60s, we had folk music uh, that protested war and racial injustice. More recently, uh, when Occupy Wall Street was going on, we saw people marching behind the likes of Pete Seeger and Arlo Guthrie and, and others. Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess as you note there, the... The people that are sort of represent left, sort of left wing or political folk music are kind of still people that are from the '60s era at this at this moment. But it, you know, maybe there's uh, a new generation. We'll see. Now, when we talk about folk music, we're really talking about a wide range of music: blues, bluegrass, country, shape note, freedom songs of the civil rights movement. Um, should, do they all? come under the uh, the genre uh, American Roots music, or is that just another genre? Well, I, you know, folk music is a complex term, and it means different things to different people, and I have my own conception of it, which is reflected in how I book the Brooklyn Folk Festival. One of my staff um, members said, oh, folk music is Bob Dylan. And, right. Well, I objected to that, because I think folk music preceded Bob Dylan. Yeah, by I mean, hundred years or more, right? By hundreds of thousands of years, right? Uh, so yeah, it's it's a diverse um, genre. I think in the nineteenth century, the sort of early folklorists that were in university English departments kind of defined it as sort of the anonymously composed music of 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 medieval peasants, <laughs> and then in the you know <coughs> like people like Alan Lomax or. Uh, Harry Smith with his anthology kind of redefined folk music as something that 
was closer in time and sort of the music of the rural working class uh, in the United States or wherever. And then it's changed again since then to be become Bob Dylan, I guess. I don't know. Well, John and Alan Lomax were a bit controversial in some ways because they often took writing credit for songs that right. went back hundreds of years or songs of, from people like Leadbelly, who obviously um, was grateful that uh, they were recording him, but... Uh, Sure. Yeah, the Lomax has used um, the legal system with intellectual property rights and so on in order to try to to try to earn a little bit of money, and it's a controversial subject whether it was the right thing to do or not. But that that's that is what happened. Jaron, uh, you were talking earlier about hearing country music as well, and I've spoken to gospel singers who said that when they were traveling around the South. They'd turn on the radio and they'd be hearing songs like Will the Circle Be Unbroken and Great Speckled Bird uh, coming out of white gospel. Uh, and that became part of their repertoire. Uh, so is it when you're putting together what you want to play, uh, are you open to pretty much everything that's out there? I'll play anything that sounds good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> You know, I'm an entertainer and I'm a performer, so I... You know, I try to tickle the demographic under their toes. You know, there's certain songs you can't can't play for certain people, and certain songs you can that they'd really enjoy. It. And, uh, uh, through being a performer, you get to figure out which ones are which. Now, uh, unlike other genres like jazz, a lot of these songs have simple chords. Does that make them user friendly? Well, that that helps if you. Uh, that helps make it user friendly. I know a lot of people. I'm not talking about the way you play. You. That, yeah, that, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you couldn't be talking about me. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I was getting ready to settle your hash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some of the, a lot of my friends who uh, what they call it punk music. They play punk music. There's a lot of crossover there because there's sort of the same principles apply. It's music folk can make. That's why they call it folk music mm -hmm. a lot of the time. But also I think folk music... Because a lot of the folk musicians were self-taught. This, this is true. Some of them were trained. Mm -hmm. You know, people in the Chapman family had training and could read music and uh, they wrote some of the most popular songs that are actually city songs. They're urban songs. You know, New York has folk culture but it's urban folk cu culture. Uh, the Chapmans were from the city of Mississippi. They were from Jackson. And they wrote a popular city song, you know, Sitting on Top of the World is not a country song. It's a city song. Mm -hmm. And it got around in all the cities. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the folk, what people think of as folk music does come from cities, you know, New York and Chicago, and gets uh, viewed through the lens of uh, different type peoples. And well, then the blues wound up being a basic component of a lot of rock and roll. Oh, sure. And I think actually that was a, a really interesting thing that did happen in the 1960s is that there's a great cultural strength in, in old traditional music, American folk music or wherever it might be from. And, I, and that, that source of sort of cultural material and, and, uh, and, and aesthetic and strength entered popular music in the 1960s and people that were interested in making, you know, popular music like rock and roll were became well versed in folk music and I, and it actually and it led to a great period for popular music sometimes to embarrassing things like again people taking credit for other people's music the rolling stones uh claiming love in vain was written by a friend of theirs rather than by robert johnson right 
Let's take a call from Jacqueline Steiner of Norwalk, Connecticut. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I just want to say hello to everybody and to and to uh, say how happy I am that there's this revival. I I was singing on Hootenannies um, in the 1950s um, at the Knights of Pythias Hall, um, and I I guess my my best known song. I've written a lot of topical songs, and the best one is is uh, Charlie on the MTA, which I wrote with Bess Lomax Hawes. Oh, wow, I met her, yeah. You met Bess? I did, yeah, yes, oh, years ago. Oh, she was ago. a wonderful... I, um, when I was in Cambridge in the 1940s, um, she lived there with Butch Hawes, and, and their This, where this is kids. Alan Lomax's sister. That Alan we're Lomax's about. sister and John Lomax's daughter. Um and uh well she had been a member of the almanac singers of course along with woody and sonny terry and brownie mcgee and some other uh, pete of course and um bess would hold uh, weekly folk song sessions at her house in cambridge and i i started people told me about it and i started attending um and there was a guy named walter o'brien uh who ran for mayor of boston in 1949 he was a, a member of the Progressive Party, and he had been a union organizer. And he asked our group to write a whole bunch of um, topical songs to promote his mayoral campaign. At that time, there were sound trucks that would go around in um, various parts, and we'd get up on top of the sound truck and, and sing these songs. And Bess and I uh, wrote MTA, which is, again, based on a an old... Um, a song from the 19th century called The Ship That Never Returned. But, oh, that's uh, right. ja Jacqueline, yeah. let, let me jump in here because uh, Jacqueline does bring up something really important, which is that uh, folk music has not been, well, I don't know if it's there's a lot of sexism there, but when I think back at some of the great uh, singers uh, over the past, there are a lot of women who are among the best. Uh, this was not something where which was totally dominated by men. Yeah, I guess that's that's a that's a good point. I actually on the old recordings I think about the Carters. Yeah. I mentioned Elizabeth Cotton earlier. There, there was there was sexism, and I, and I think women were were discouraged from recording and 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 performing in public in many cases. But you're absolutely right in that even later, Jean Ritchie. There are incredible yeah female voices in the field of folk music. Even yeah. in the early days of the blues, the blues was a women's music. Mm -hmm. The classic blues. We do singers, have Bessie like, Smith, one of the greatest singers in American history, and the other Smiths, Mamie Smith, <laughs> Trixie yeah. Smith, these classic blues singers. Yeah, exactly. And Victoria the, Speedy. The, the, uh, the idea of a man, a man sitting alone playing the guitar, singing the blues as we think of him now, didn't come along till about. Uh, four or five years later after the women had taken it over. Now, Jaron, earlier this year, you performed a tribute to Lead Belly at Carnegie Hall. How important was Lead Belly in, in the history of American folk music? Oh, Lead Belly is Mishbucha. Lead Belly is uh, from 20 miles That's an away. African word, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, 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 by uh, Leroy Ginsburg. He... He taught me this uh, when we were growing up in South Central. And, <laughs> and uh, Lead, Lead Belly uh, is from, uh, from Morinsport, Louisiana. My grandma was born on the plantations outside of Shreveport, so they only a little ways from each other. 
So I grew up hearing a lot of Lead Belly in the house. Well, we used we to all play we, musical chairs to Lead Belly. for us here at WMIC because he used to have a radio show here. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, and Henrietta Yurchenko was the was the producer of that radio show. Yeah. And then Oscar Brand has had the, the longest running radio show uh, in American history, and that's again WMIC and folk music. Proud, very proud history at this station. Yeah. So who's going to be performing at the folk festival? Well, we. Uh, I mean, we're we're so happy that Jaron was able to come here. Yeah, we we have Jaron Paxton, of course. We have thirty five different bands, so there's a lot to see. Um, there's uh, blues and jug bands, old time string bands, uh, traditional uh, Syrian, Mexican, Afro Colombian, and Italian music. Uh, just an incredible amount of stuff tonight. Michael Hurley is performing. The great songwriter uh, Michael Hurley will be there tonight, uh, as well as. <clears throat> Excuse me. Frank Fairfield will be there, and uh, oh boy, who else? Farrell Foster, Ed Sanders, and the, some members of the Fugs mm-hmm. will be uh, playing at the festival this year. We have Meredith Axelrod, and uh, some really great string bands from the South that have come from Georgia and uh, Louisiana. And Jerem, will you be performing solo? Yes, sir. I may have some help from some friends. <laughs> And what kinds of songs will you be singing? Any kind of people want to hear. My New York audience is very diverse, so they like all sorts of things. You haven't worked out your playlist yet? I never do, because I don't know what the people want to hear. <laughs> they might be uptight. I should play some uptight music. They might be loose. Mm-hmm. I might have to play some good time music. Well, Jerron, you played banjo on the show today, but you will also play guitar and harmonica and uh, the v- fiddle. So sure. there's a, there's All a instruments that are, have been associated with folk music. Exactly. Now, if a, a listener was wondering, if you wanted to have a crash course in folk music, what are the sources to go to? Well, I always recommend everybody listen to the Anthology of American Folk Music uh, that Harry Smith uh, edited for Folkways Records. Is that available on CD? Yes, yes, of course. It's been reissued. It's It's pretty easy to get a hold of. And there are books out there that that you can read some 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 pretty good ones, uh, including. Oh, it's so hard to say. I mean, read Dave Van Ronk's autobiography. Read you could read Bob Dylan's autobiography. Read a, a book called Folk Music: The Basics, that's out there. I always recommend that. That's a good history. There's there's a lot of sources. And also check out my old podcast, Down Home Radio Show. If you want to hear some uh, some good stuff on there, there's some good information there. And you can also go to Jalopy Theater. And I recommend that everyone come to the Jalopy Theater. In the 60s, there were lots of folk clubs in New York. Now there's fewer, and, and the main one, really the absolutely the main one, is the Jalopy Theater uh, in Brooklyn there. And it's, uh, it's a stage. They have music uh, six or seven nights a week. They have a music school where you can take classes. It's a great place. And, the, and they, I produce the Brooklyn Folk Festival with them. And this is in downtown Brooklyn on Montague Street? The Brooklyn Folk Festival is at St. Anne's Church uh, on Montague Street. The Jalopy Theater is is on Columbia Street in Red Hook. Uh And uh, my great thanks uh, to the two of you for being on our show. Uh, We've been speaking with Eli Smith, who's co-founder of the Brooklyn Folk Festival uh, and producer of the Washington Square Park Folk Festival. When is that? 
That's in the fall. That'll be in uh, mid-September this year. People can uh, look at the Brooklyn Folk Fest website for the schedule and tickets and look at the Washington Square Park website for more information about that. And listeners can find more information on our show page at wnyc.org slash My great thanks to Jaron Blindboy-Paxton, who's one of the headliners at the Brooklyn Folk Festival, for coming by as well. And it's been wonderful listening to you and watching you play. Thank, glad you like it. Thank you both so much. Thank you.